0: I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello, and thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host Effie Parks. I'm really excited to share this episode with you today. We are covering a lot of ground surrounding a really important topic. Thinking about the future for our kids is a lot. I know I put off certain things sometimes that stress me out when thinking about my next steps to manage Ford's care. This topic is one of them. So I found an attorney who is local to the Seattle area to sit down and chat with me about making wills, estate planning, special needs trusts, guardianships, ABLE accounts, and all of that, and asked her to be a guest on the podcast. I know this is something that would be a valuable resource for many of you. She's so smart and so adorable and really lays out the foundation so well and delivers it in an easy to understand way. What I think is even more important is she went to law school because she was passionate about this type of law. I know for me as a mom to a kid like Ford, I seek out professionals who actually care. Having an empathetic and passionate person when it's dealing with my complicated life situations with Ford is a no-brainer. I hope this episode inspires a conversation that perhaps has been avoided for all the reasons, and hopefully it can motivate some of us to get it out of the way to be able to rest that part of our minds. And if you're local to Washington and are ready to take some next steps, I highly recommend contacting her. All of that information will be in my show notes on my website at effieparks.com. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the lovely Sage Graves. Hi, Sage. Hello, Effie. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm more than happy to, to come and talk about something that I think is really interesting and important. And um, sounds like uh, you and your listeners also have the same
0: interest in it. It's definitely a daunting topic. But I think you especially with your youth and your adorable personality, I think you're just going to make this a little easier of a subject to kind of listen to and understand. So I'm really happy I found you. Oh,
1: well, that's so sweet of you. I'm very happy to help.
0: So I'd love if you could just give me a little background about yourself and why you've chosen this type of law to practice, if you feel like sharing that particular piece. Sure. This is my
1: fourth year in private practice. Um, I graduated from law school in 2016. I actually went to law school with the purpose of of going into this all-encompassing field that we call elder law. And really, elder law also encompasses a lot of disability law. And I started to be interested in this area of law, actually, after I graduated from college, before I went to law school, I was working at an assisted living facility. And it was kind of an eye-opening experience for me, one, all of the issues, you know, that our seniors have to deal with and people with disabilities, the possibilities of vulnerability and exploitation. And I really felt like it was an interesting group to advocate for and people who really need, um, you know, voices and people that, you know, are looking out for them and looking out for their interests. So that's sort of how I got interested in it. And in my practice now, I do a lot of guardianship work. I do a lot of estate planning But really, one of my favorite things is being able to be a family's advocate. And we do multiple projects together. Often I have clients that I've done an estate planning piece for and a special needs trust and a guardianship. And so, I mean, it's a really cool opportunity to get to know the community and and people who, you know, are doing really great things and doing a very good job raising their kids. The part that I do is such a small portion of what parents are doing every day. But, you know, being able to answer questions and feel like parents and and families have someone to go to with questions.
0: It's a really great feeling for me and something I just really enjoy. I love that. And it's not a small piece. It's huge, (laughs) especially coming from a place of understanding and wanting to contribute to a demographic that maybe is kind of not looked at as much. So I think it's really awesome. And thank you. (laughs) Thank you. That's so kind. So I kind of want to just cover all of the basics, like what we need to do, what we need to think about, when we should do it, and why we should do it, and kind of what the difference is between a lot of the documents that we should probably eventually get finished for our kids. Yeah, I don't know where you want to start. If you want to start with like the estate planning, the special needs trusts, guardianships, ABLE accounts, I'd love to talk about all of those a little bit if we could.
1: Yeah. So um, before we jump into, you know, any specifics about what different or extra or special parents of kids with disabilities need to do, I mean, I think just as a, you know, a general matter, estate planning is always important. Um, I think a lot of times people, When they think of estate planning, really what they're thinking of is how is my estate going to be distributed after I pass away? But, you know, estate planning really encompasses not only the, you know, specter of death, but we're also talking about disability and what happens if you yourself are, you know, God forbid you're in a car accident or something happens to you, who is going to be talking to the doctors for you? Who is going to be making sure that your mortgage gets paid? If you're a parent and you have young children, who is going to be taking your kid to the doctor? Who is going to be, um, you know, talking to the schools if you're if you're not able to to act in that capacity? So. I think, you know, as a general matter, estate planning is always important. Generally, the documents that people should have in place would be a will or a trust sometimes. So that would dictate where does my property go at my death? And also really very important that you have powers of attorney in place. And the powers of attorney are um, documents that allow somebody else to act on your behalf or, you know, represent you in some capacity, whether that's at your bank, they're able to open and close checking accounts and write checks, or whether that's somebody who can call up your doctor and get healthcare information about you or make healthcare decisions on your behalf. So I think certainly everybody Across the spectrum, it's really important to have those documents in place and powers of attorney particularly because what it does is it avoids the need for court proceedings like a guardianship, which we'll talk about, to allow somebody else to manage your affairs. So powers of attorney are generally pretty cheap and easy to get in place, and really they're worth their weight in gold. So I think as a starting point, I would just mention that, that, and that applies certainly to, to everybody, regardless of if you have kids or, you know, if you have a family or anything. But I think moving into what do parents of kids with disabilities need to do differently maybe or think about is really when it comes to preparing a will or doing, um, you know, a trust dictating where your property goes at death. Oftentimes parents want to consider leaving assets to their children with disability in a special needs trust rather than um, just leaving it to their children outright. So, If I pass away and I don't have any sort of will in place, the state decides what happens to my property. So if I pass away and I'm not married, then my state will just automatically go to my children. Now, if I have a child with a disability, let's say my kid is 20 years old and they have um, a disability that allows them to receive state and federal government benefit from the government for their disability. So that might be social security income that could be Medicaid in the form of medical assistance. The issue is that those means-tested benefits require the beneficiary to have no more, generally, than $2,000 in their name at their disposal in order to allow them to maintain those government benefits. So if I pass away and I don't have a will, my 20-year-old child is going to inherit my estate, regardless of one, (laughs) whether they're able to manage that on their own, And two, regardless of, um, you know, the benefits they're on. So if my child who's 20 inherits my estate, essentially they have the more than $2,000 they need. And then what happens is they just get kicked right off the benefits they're on. So they're no longer receiving this monthly income, which maybe you know, depending on the situation, isn't the worst thing in the world. But what it also does is it makes their Medicaid go away. And if my kid has Medicaid, the state or the government is going to be paying for a lot of of my kids' medical care. And otherwise, their inheritance is going to be used for that. And if you can imagine somebody with specialized health needs, that inheritance is going to get spent down extraordinarily fast if it's paying for things (laughs) like just basic medical care. So the purpose of leaving money instead of just outright to your kid you leave it to this very special kind of trust. And what the trust does is it acts as a form of protection against the inheritance. So obviously this is all blessed by the government and everyone um, you know, is on board with this. But really what it says is the government says, okay, if we're going to allow somebody who has this pot of money to still benefit from state and federal governments, the money just needs to be really out of the kid's hand. So in the example of a special needs trust for estate planning that, that I often do, is you leave your child's share in this trust. And all that is, it's just something that's included in your will. You don't do anything while you're living. It's just a portion of your of your will that says, my kid's share is gonna go to this trust. You appoint a third party as trustee. That might be another kid. It could be a family member. It could be a friend or it could be, you know, even a professional that, that offer these services. Then the money is held in this special kind of trust that allows the funds to be available for your child's needs while still allowing them to maintain their state and federal benefits. So I could pass away and leave, let's just say I have a lot of money. I leave $10 million to this special needs trust for my kid. My kid can still receive social security benefits as long as they don't have $2,000 in their own name, not counting the trust, they can still receive Medicaid. And then the nice thing is that the money in this trust is still certainly available for your child's needs. They're the beneficiary of this trust. So for example, the trustee can pay for a private room or they can pay for vacations, they can pay for clothing, they can pay for all of these other things that the child's benefits do not cover. So it acts as a supplement and and a way to make their lives maybe more enjoyable or something that you know that they just want or they need going to a Seahawks game, whatever it is. So in that sense, the, the inheritance, rather than being spent down quickly on just basic medical care, it's a nest egg that your child can use and benefit from for years and years in the future. And I think especially for kids with disabilities that would prevent them from, you know, working or having a, a job that earns you know good income, An inheritance is really your kid's retirement plan, right? Like this money should last for as long as possible. And that's really what the trust does is it allows it to be stretched out over the child's life because it's not being spent on things like just basic, you know, medical care that that your child might need.
0: Yeah, because that would be gone in five minutes. Oh, five
1: minutes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, especially if, <laughs> you know, there's one or two surgeries that your child might need. I mean, my goodness, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially and um, medical bills that otherwise the state would just pick up.
0: So the special needs trust part of the will that you create is just kind of like a room that you make. You don't have to go in there. You don't have to put money in it. It's just it's a door that you've created that you open when you need to go to it.
1: That's exactly that's exactly the way you, that you should think about it. I mean, really, a will itself is just a piece of paper until you pass away. So the idea is that you do this planning, you have the will, you put it aside, and then nothing happens until after you pass away. And then through a probate administration generally of your estate, then the trust would get set up after you pass away. But really, you know, for your work right now, it's just get it done, set it aside.
0: So that covers the will itself. Yes. We all need a will. Okay, because I know when I went and met with you, the only thing really circling in my mind was guardianship. I hear that a lot in our groups, that that's like the most important thing that we need to think about. Obviously, we're worried about our kids and all of that stuff. But you definitely kind of brought it down to me and explained that to me. And it was a pretty, it was an aha moment in realizing where we actually need to start.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I do think, um, like you mentioned, uh, guardianship is certainly a word that's thrown around a lot. And frankly, it depends on which state you live in, or if you have a family member in California, their experience with guardianship, you know, could be different than, than ours. But really, I think the main takeaway for guardianship is if you're a natural parent to your child, there's no need to get any special authority from the court through a guardianship to make decisions for your child. The kind of guardianship that I do is what happens when your child who is aging into adulthood, who might not be able to make their own medical decisions or handle their financial affairs, what do we do then? That really only comes up once your child is is an adult because in our laws, people are, as an adult, um, you're presumed to have capacity unless proven otherwise, essentially. So the issue doesn't really even start to come up until, okay, now my kid is 19 and the doctor is saying that, you know, the doctor can't talk to me about these things, or the doctor is telling me that I can't, you know, get these medical records I'm asking for. Why? You know, I'm, I'm a child's parent. I've been doing this all along. And in that situation, there has to be some sort of uh, guardianship in place, because there has to be a way of appointing the parent to make these decisions for, for your child, whether that be making medical decisions or you know, applying for benefits or managing their finances. But that's really only um, something that's gonna come up once your kid is an adult and there really shouldn't be anything that you would need to do while your child is a minor to be able to make decisions for them.
0: Okay, so what if both parents or caregivers pass away and the child is under eighteen?
1: Yes, that's a really good question. So in that situation, oftentimes there is a need for a guardianship. Now, there's a guardianship of a person, and there's a guardianship of of an estate. So sometimes a minor child might need a guardianship of their estate. Let's say in what we were talking about before, I pass away and I leave money to my kid, not into a trust, but just to my kid a minor obviously can't manage, you know, that those funds, so sometimes there needs to be a guardianship to manage things. But if you do your estate planning properly, the trustee of the trust for your child is going to be in charge of the money. A reason you might need a guardianship of a minor child though is like you said mom and dad are both deceased and aunt who is raising child wants to this is a really good example actually one that recently came up. I had an aunt who was raising her niece Both parents were passed away. This young person was, I think, 15, and aunt wanted to take her niece on a trip to Thailand with the rest of her family. Now, young person didn't have a passport. So how does this non-parental person with no legal authority (laughs) apply for a passport on behalf of this minor child that she's not the parent for? So in that situation, aunt needed to get a guardianship for a minor child so that she had the authority to apply for a passport. The same thing would be true for perhaps enrolling a minor child in school or taking the minor child to a hospital or or a doctor's office. But that should only apply if there's, you know, no natural parent involved.
0: Okay. So is it the will where we would choose whomever would take care of our child? We passed away.
1: Exactly. So in a will, will. you would nominate the person that you want to serve as guardian for for your minor child, if they're still a minor at the time. But remember that only applies if they're a minor. Like let's say you passed away and your child is 20, then you're not really able, your nomination of a guardian doesn't really have any meaning because your child is now an adult. But um, it would have meaning if you pass away when your child is still a minor, where the court would give preference to whomever you name in your will as the person that you want
0: to to be the guardian for your child. So when you do name that person in your will, do they have to agree and like sign off on it or... Nope. Do people just name people and then they're surprised in the end? Maybe. <laughs>
1: um, I would hope that nobody's too surprised. I mean, <laughs> what I always tell my clients is like, certainly this is a big decision. I mean, oftentimes my clients, I see them struggle more with this and the trustee of the special needs trust for their kid than really anything else. You know, these are the decisions that are the most important. So, I mean, I always suggest that people pull in the, the people that they're thinking of nominating and just check with them to make sure that they're comfortable serving. And, and I think, Nine times out of 10, the people that are chosen and are asked about it just feel so blessed that the person thinks of them as as the person that they would want to take over this really important role, you know, if something happened to them. So, you know, asking is always a good thing. But (laughs) I've also had people that were that were surprised. So I think it can go either (laughs) way.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, I love hearing that people are touched by that. That's really good. And maybe it's important to name more than one person in case someone, you know, can't for whatever reason just to make sure that yes. it happens.
1: And that's always a huge thing. I mean, I, I think it's hard because a lot of people, I see a lot of people struggle with trying to create a will that is going to make sense for the next 20 years or 30 years. I mean, I think when you're doing your estate planning, you can get really wrapped up in, well, what happens in 2064 when, when I'm planning for this to happen? <laughs> I mean, I think that when you're doing this planning, you should think of, you know, if something happened to me in the next one to five years, What would I want to happen? And that's really the best that you can do. And you name as many people as you know, and you trust not only for the guardian for your child, but you want to have plenty of backup or, you know, your powers of attorney and things like that just to be, you know, on the safe side.
0: Yeah, that helps to know that it's your recommendation to kind of break it down into smaller steps rather than try to worry about every day of the future.
1: Yes. Yeah. You can get really wrapped up in that and, you know, trying to think about planning for too many contingencies. So I see a lot of people and, you know, frankly, the thing that ends up happening is that people come in and they're really excited to do their planning. You know, we get all this good information and then they just really, really struggle with some of these decisions and it ends up delaying months, maybe years to actually get this planning in place. So certainly, I think that if it's down to getting the documents prepared, that should always take precedent over, you know, trying to really control every possible outcome. And then, you know, not getting your documents in place for years and years while you're trying to work on it, which just really doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, it's kind of just like not doing it at all. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So another thing that I hear a lot about are ABLE accounts. Can you tell us about what those are? And how is that different than the special needs trust?
1: Yes, an ABLE account is a pretty new thing. The idea is, for example, social security, supplemental security income known as SSI right? It's this monthly income that somebody might be eligible for as an adult. SSI is intended for people who have a disability that prevents them from working. So you don't have a work history, you haven't paid into the system, so you might not be eligible you know, for SSDI. And the idea is that for SSI, you can't have more than $2,000 in unexempt resources, like cash in a checking account. So we talked about that $2,000 limit previously. But what happens is that if you think about a person who can never have more than $2,000, you know, SSI is about $750 a month. The, the issue is that how are you ever going to save and accumulate money when you are a person who can never have more than $2,000 as of the first of any given month and, you know, you're receiving little income. So the ABLE account is a response to that. It stands for Achieving Better Life Experiences, and it was a federal law passed in 2014. And the idea is we should have some sort of special account where people who receive benefits like SSI can sort of tuck away some extra money so that they can save a little bit and still maintain their government benefits. So that's sort of what the idea of an ABLE account is. It is an account where you can, the beneficiary, so the the person receiving SSI, or family members or friends can contribute up to $15,000 per year. So a max of $15,000 from all contributions in any given calendar year But you put it in this special account and the funds in the account do not count towards that resource limit for SSI eligibility purposes. So it doesn't count towards the $2,000. And the really nice thing is that these ABLE accounts can actually have up to $100,000 in them without it impacting the person's eligibility for benefits. So it's a really, really great option. Now I think that the other thing I would just mention is you have to have been determined by social security to be disabled before the age of 26 in order to use these accounts so you know if you're an older adult in their 50s and you know just developed a you know a chronic heart condition certainly that this is not going to be an option for you but definitely kids who you know have a disability before the age of 26 on these benefits it's a really good idea for them and it's a little bit different than when we're talking about doing estate planning and leaving money to a special needs trust you know, an ABLE account and a special needs trust under a will are kind of like apples and oranges. You wouldn't be able to write a will and leave money to this to an ABLE account. That's not really how that would work. You can think of an ABLE account as a way, um, something that might work for your child or for you to contribute to during life. But the special needs trust is certainly going to be the option for you, you know, when you pass away. One, just because there might be an issue with the amount passing to it, you can't fund more than $15,000 in this account per year, but with the special needs trust, it could have however much in it. And then the other thing is that the ABLE account, it can be managed by a legal representative, So like a power of attorney or a guardian or something like that, for the special needs trust, one of the most important features about it is the trustee that you have managing it, where you have some third party who's making the distribution decisions and in charge of doing tax returns and things like that. The ABLE account doesn't really act as a mechanism for a long-term management of, of the funds in the account. So it certainly could be the case that you have a big special needs trust for your kid, and that your kid also maybe has a you know an able account with a couple you know thousand dollars in it, sort of as a savings account. And if your child isn't subject to guardianship, certainly that's something that your you know your kid can control. Whereas the funds in the special needs trust, the way, the kind of the deal, that the government came up with that said okay. You know, we'll we'll let this money not count towards eligibility purposes, but for the special needs trust, it has to be so out of the beneficiary's control. So the beneficiary can't call up the trustee and say, Uncle Bob or whoever the trustee is, hey, I really want this. Give me $10,000 cause I want this car. It doesn't really work that way. But for the ABLE account, the beneficiary can control it and it can sort of just be like a checking account that they, you know, use a debit card for when they go and they want to buy a soda at the store or something like that.
0: Ah, That's very cool. And thank you for breaking it down that way. That makes a lot of sense and important to have both. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's important to have both. I mean, really, I think that like thinking of it as sort of a discretionary spending account, I think a lot of times makes sense. And the other thing, just totally not to, you know, complicate matters, but we were talking about having a special needs trust inside of a will. Now, there's also ways that you can have a special needs trust. They're called standalone special needs trusts, and it's something you can create during your life. So, for example, um, if you had $50,000 you just wanted to set aside for your kid, you can set it up in this, you know, kind of special needs trust but that's really only for more money, right? Like to draft an attorney to, you know, write a trust for you is can be a couple thousand dollars. So the ABLE account is really, really good for just Uncle Bob wants to give my son um, who's on SSI five hundred dollars for his birthday. You shove it in the ABLE account, it's you know completely free to set up. And it's just a really nice little savings account sort of cushion.
0: Nice. Yeah. Because a lot of friends and family members do want to be able to donate in some way to the kids. So that's a really good way for them to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what about college savings? Do you know anything about like what opportunities kids like mine could have in setting up funds for that?
1: No, I don't honestly know too much about that. I mean, a 529 plan is still something that, you know, parents of a kid with special needs can do. The 529 plan, I think generally is something that would be considered part of the parent's estate and the the child doesn't really necessarily have a beneficial interest in. Theoretically, a parent could have a a larger 529 plan for their child. And at the age of 18, as long as the kid didn't have more than $2,000, you know, in an account in their name. Um, they would still be able to, you know, apply for benefits, if that makes sense. But otherwise, I'm not too familiar with using, um, you know, 529 plans for kids with disabilities. I think that definitely one option, like I said, if a family really wanted to set aside, you know, a significant amount of money for their kid and have it be really earmarked only for that child, certainly what I would probably recommend is this, it's called a third-party special needs trust, And it's a standalone special needs trust you can create during your life. Third party means it's being funded with money that does not belong to the beneficiary, so your child. And what it really operates the exact same way as a special needs trust under your will, except for that um, it's something that you establish during life and you can either be the trustee of it during life or appoint someone else. But it's the same idea where it's money set aside in such a way that would prevent the funds from being available to the beneficiary and counting against their, uh, you know, ability to receive benefit.
0: Okay. Yeah. So as long as you know your way through the bureaucracy, there's quite a few options.
1: Yeah, there really is. And, and, you know, that's especially for the ABLE account, it's really all a reflection of, the issues that most parents see where it's how are we ever going to be able to you know how is my kid going to be able to have an estate and have money and you know take care of themselves financially and the able account is a great a great option for that and special needs trust that's really their point is to allow people to have funds that they can benefit from and also maintain these very very important government benefits that exist for you know for for children and families with disabilities
0: so what is the general cost of setting up your will and your special needs trust like what do families need to like think about and like look at for planning because i think for me i was like i'm never doing that we're never gonna be able to afford it i don't have any money to give to ford anyways But like, what would you say to people like me who have kind of had that thought process and maybe pushed it aside? I
1: mean, I think ultimately, and I totally get it, you know, just from where I am in my own life, coming up with expenses that don't feel necessarily necessary, if you will, it's not rent, it's not food, right? I think that at a certain point, there is a cost benefit analysis that people can do where it really does make sense to spend money on estate planning, because the downside is that a lot of fees can be incurred when you don't do your planning. So let me just give you an example. So somebody who's an adult, let's say, you know, God forbid you are in a car accident and you're in the hospital and it's both you and your husband. It was just a horrible accident. You're in the hospital, both of you are there. What happens now? How does your mortgage get paid? How how do things happen? Now, if you have a power of attorney in place, the idea is that somebody, a trusted family member or friend goes to the hospital figures out what's going on with the health care, you know, starts making health care decisions. They go to the bank. They make sure that the mortgage is paid. You know, they do all these things. Now, without that planning, what would happen is that somebody would need to go to court and apply for a guardianship for you, which is, again, the process through which the court allows somebody to make health care decisions or financial decisions. But that's exactly what the power of attorney does. (laughs) So having a power of attorney avoids the possibility that someday you know, a family member, a friend will have to go into court and spend potentially thousands and thousands of dollars on the court proceeding to get that authority. So I think in some instances you really can do that cost benefit analysis. We're doing estate planning and spending money on it while certainly an expense in the long run, depending on the situation really could save you money. And
0: everyone, a, and lot, everyone, of stress. <laughs> a
1: lot of stress and exactly the streamlined aspect of it you know, with the power of attorney, nobody's involved with your business. But if we go with the guardianship route, you know, the court is involved in your business, your stuff, it's publicly available documents, people know how much money you have. I mean, it's not ideal. And then in terms of cost, I think that we do, you know, at this point, we're doing all of our estate planning on, we call it a flat fee basis. And I think most attorneys do it that way. Um, the flat fee, it's intended to be, this is what the cost is going to be, regardless of how long it takes to get there. If you want, you know, multiple drafts or if it takes a while, um, you have, we have one set cost that would encompass the consultation, the drafting, the communication, signing and all that good stuff. So I think our, um, at this point, our flat fee for married couples, I think starts at around $2,500 and that would include wills with trusts inside of them. You know, any trust provisions, it would include powers of attorney, healthcare directives, all of that for both. Both spouses. And I think for single persons at this point, our um, flat fee starts at about $1,200. And then it would go up from there if we're doing more complex planning. You know, if there's tax planning or something like that, sometimes that can make it a little bit more expensive. And then um, we usually just do like a half up front, and then half when we finish the project. And we're really happy to work with people. I mean, we've had people that, you know, will pay us over months or whatever it is, you know, we're very flexible when it comes to that.
0: Yeah. I was pretty shocked with how affordable it all seemed considering the magnitude of what it all entails. And the flat fee is definitely something that put me at ease, especially if you have to kind of revisit things here and there. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And that's the whole point, right? We don't want people to have to Feel like, okay, you have 40 minutes <laughs> to make all of these decisions because otherwise, you know, you're going to be billed for another hour. You know, our goal, and it's it's just really how we feel, we want people to walk out of the office like they they understand what they're doing and that they feel this huge w- relief, um, weight off their shoulders for getting it done. And I'd say nine times out of ten, that's really Um, How people feel is just like okay, that was a huge thing. We've thought about it for a long time. We've agonized over it. We finally have done it, and now it's just like okay, moving on to the you know moving on to something else. And and that's really that's really the point of of estate planning. It's peace of mind, right? Like you're not going to be around, you know, probably when a lot of this is being you know is coming to fruition in terms of what's happening in your state after your death. But knowing that things are going to be handled and handled appropriately is is really worth the money.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'd love to just give you and like your firm a shout out because you have offered to me, you guys are far, you're in a town called Linwood with, you know, with traffic in Seattle, it can take a long time to get there. And you've offered to visit families on the east side or a little closer to where they are. So they don't always have to make a jaunt to linwood depending on where they're at yeah so families if you're thinking about finding someone who does this sage obviously specializes with our kids but she's super flexible especially with lives like ours it's really really hard to get away and do things sometimes so that's a huge that's a huge thing that I would like to pine out for your service that you provide.
1: Yeah, no. And I've uh, met with people on, you know, Saturday nights. I've had breakfast with them, <laughs> you know, in the morning, um, while they're feeding their kids. So, no, I mean, I totally understand the, you know, the hecticness and and making it fit in with your schedule. And we're
0: really happy to accommodate that. And can you do this for anyone living in Washington state or do people need to be able to meet with you personally?
1: We can do this for anybody living in Washington state. I'd say um, kind of the plug for, for me and our firm is um, we, we specialize in, you know, planning involving special needs trusts. The one thing I'll note is that there's a lot of estate planning attorneys out there, a lot of very competent ones, but not all of them do the special needs trust side of things. So certainly if people, you know, are in somewhere more eastern Washington and would prefer to meet with an attorney face to face, I totally get that. Um, They can reach out to me. and I'd be happy to find, you know, a a referral in their area. But I think it's really important to make sure you're finding somebody who has the knowledge of special needs trust planning, because, you know, parents of kids with disabilities, that's a huge part of really what you're coming in for and not, you know, every attorney um, has that knowledge and has that expertise. But I'm certainly able to, if people are comfortable, meet with them virtually, especially now with everything going on. I think yeah. realizing people will be much, good at it by then. Yeah, especially, <laughs> yeah, no, I think people are realizing how much you really can get done virtually. People want to work with me and they're okay not seeing me face to face. That's fine. The only, comp- not complication, but thing to, to note is that We'd have to set up different arrangements for signing documents outside of the office, but we would provide them instructions and, you know, make sure that that gets handled appropriately.
0: Yeah, I think the same with medical professionals. I wouldn't hire an attorney who wasn't specialized in whatever I was going in for.
1: Exactly. But it can be really overwhelming because, you know, there, there, like I said, is a lot of estate planning attorneys out there, and, and maybe that's something people don't know to be looking for specifically. So very important to do.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, Sage, is there anything else that you want to leave uh, anybody listening with? Maybe a little nugget of hope? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately,
1: like I said, um, the the good thing I would hope that I think most of your listeners are in Washington, and just sort of the plug for our state, we actually have a pretty good, we have pretty good systems in place. I think that of comparison to other states, we're We're really um, respectful, I think, of of people and, and their rights. And so a lot of the systems that we have in place really are protecting the rights of persons with disabilities. And I think that's one thing Washington does really well. And I think that, you know, there's tons of people like me who love this work and are you know, doing what we can to improve it. I do a lot of work with our legislative, you know, with, with legislative work. And, um, you know, things are improving all of the time. And there's, there's a lot of really cool mechanisms out there to make sure that people with disabilities have resources and, you know, can have a, of a, have a good quality of life. So we're in a good state, you know, there's good options. And it's just about finding them and, and pursuing them and getting them in place for your family.
0: Thanks. That's really comforting to know, especially since we're behind in some other areas. So I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Sage. I really... I really enjoy learning from you, and um, I think this is going to be really useful to all of our listeners.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and I um, appreciate you taking the time to do this. It's, it's great what you're doing.
0: No problem. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Sage. All right. Thanks, Effie. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people, and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. (laughs) אם <laughs> <laughs>